Have you been searching for a community that gets it? Join me, your host, Monique, as we get real about the emotional, physical, mental, and spiritual effects infertility has on its victims. Let's connect and heal together. I am one in eight, too. Thank you so much, friends, for tuning back into Infertility and Me podcast. Today, I have Miss Katie Seppi, and she is designing an unexpectedly child-free life after infertility. And after almost four years of trying to conceive with her husband, her fertility journey ended with hysterectomy, I'm sorry, for fibroids and endometriosis. And following her surgery, Katie started Chasing Creation, an online community to provide connection support for those who are childless and not by choice, whether it's through infertility or some other varying factors. So thank you, Katie, again, for coming on and speaking to us today about your journey and then um, your work with your community, dear. Yeah, thank you so much for having me, Monique. And so what point in, in your uh, marriage did you guys uh, decide you wanted to start trying? Was it very early on or like before, um, like during the dating stages? No, we were pretty far into our marriage when we started trying. So we got married fairly young. Um, I was 24 and he was 25. And uh, we had a lot of other things we wanted to do, and I was positive that I wanted kids. Um, he was a little bit more unsure, and so um, I wanted to wait and not start trying until he got to a place where he felt really excited about it. So that was about eight years into our marriage um, that we started trying. Well, see, that's that's not that's not too bad, though. I mean, I, I guess a lot of people, there are probably a lot of people out there, and I've met only very few who have waited that long to like start focusing on kids and just living together and just, you know, being a couple for a while. So that's, I think that's great though, really. And when you initially went to CNRE, had you guys been trying for a while before you saw a specialist? So I went into trying to get pregnant, feeling like an expert because um, I had been you know, wanting to start trying for a number of years by the time we actually started. And so I had read all these books on, you know, mm-hmm. taking fertility and knew how to track my ovulation and just felt like I was going to be pro. So I actually tried for about a year and then we, you know, did the time dinner course. I knew exactly what my, what was going on with my cycle. And when it wasn't happening, like I knew the statistics and I knew that us not being pregnant after a year was not typical. So at that point, I actually started with just a gynecologist and she found fibroids, I'm sorry, not fibroids, um, polyps in my uterus and was really sure that that was probably what was causing it. And so um, I had my first surgery seeing her based on that diagnosis and, and had those polyps removed. And um, that was just kind of the beginning of the journey, but that's where I started. Well, I had polyps too. I mean, and the the surgery is not really truly, you know, too invasive, but it's still kind of like a shocker, you know, especially when you're that young and and you're like, what? You never even heard of a polyp. Like I never even heard of a polyp before. I got, I have um, them removed. I know that you said that you had the polyps. And so what point did you get diagnosed with endometriosis? Was it something that you knew as a teenager I wish I had. Um, So I had symptoms of endometriosis since I was a teenager, basically when I started my periods at 12 and had gone through 20 years of really bad pain that got worse, especially about the four years before I got diagnosed. It was really bad. Um, And I think part of that was going off of birth control. Um, I think it made my symptoms more present. And so 
um, I had complained about my symptoms to literally dozens of doctors and just been over and over again dismissed. Um, everything from being told that the pain was in my head to, you know, it's psychological. This is just what a period is. We don't know what it is. Go see a different kind of doctor. And so I really just got the runaround from the medical community. And uh, so I was not diagnosed until I saw my first RE. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time anyone had actually done a vaginal ultrasound on me. And they, she could visually see that I had um, endometriomas in both of my ovaries. And so that's when she said, yeah, you probably have endometriosis. And so um, at that point, I stepped back a little bit and said, okay, now I'm, I feel like I'm kind of on two different paths that have some intersection, but I'm now having to make decisions about my fertility. But at the same time, having a name all of a sudden for, for the pain that I've been experiencing for so long and that it gotten bad enough that it was impacting my daily life. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I now also had this other path of, wow, I may actually have some options to get pain relief. And so um, at that point, I started trying to think about my journey from both perspectives and, you know, try how to make some difficult decisions about which path I take and how one would impact the other. Yeah, yeah, wow. That must have been like kind of um, a relief in a, in a sense, when you were, you finally had a, 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 di- a name for it, like you said, and, and, and being able to go and do your own research and, and become more informed about the condition of the disease, right? Yeah, I mean, it definitely was a relief, and I am a researcher, so I, I mean, uh, not like professionally, but mm-hmm. I love researching, so I immediately just started joining groups. I'm trying to learn everything I could, and I think one thing that was frustrating is that I felt like once I was trying to get pregnant and seeing REs, they were, that's where I got my diagnosis. And I felt like it's because there's so much of a financial incentive for them to get you pregnant Mm -hmm. that there was like now this new reason for a doctor to care after being dismissed for 20 years. And it was a little bit frustrating that I felt like my health was taken more seriously when I was showing up to try to become a mother than it was when I was showing up for 20 years saying, hey, I'm in pain that's impacting me daily. So that part of it was really mm-hmm. frustrating for me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can only imagine you having pain like that as, as, as an adolescent, you know, and oh, wow, and all through your 20s and everything. Wow. So where did you guys go from there once you got your diagnosis today? Did you have to go through the surgery? I know there's a, a, a quite common surgery that's done to treat the endometriosis, right? Yeah, so I spent a few months just doing some research, and the RE was recommending that I just go straight to an IVF cycle, and um, I wanted to try to find someone who was a specialist in endometriosis and get an opinion from that direction as well. So I ended up seeing um, a specialist, um, actually flew to Utah, where I'm from originally, from uh, South Carolina to see um, an expert that was there, and talked to him about my situation and his recommendation was to go through with the surgery not only for pain relief but because he said it it would probably increase my chances um, of getting pregnant naturally and could also even help improve an IVF cycle if they were able to you know get rid of the endometriosis and um, kind of give me a fresh start there so Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, I was at a bit of a crossroads but decided to do surgery so that was my first um, surgery and uh, I think it's really important to differentiate um, just because there's so much misinformation in the endometriosis community. But 
um, the gold standard for care right now is to see someone who can who can do excision. And it's actually a different procedure where they cut out the endometriosis. Uh, most gynecologists will just take like a laser and, and burn the surface of it. And mm -hmm. that is not very effective. It has like a really high recurrence rate. Wow, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, that's yes. interesting. So I went for the, you know, I went to someone who really knew what he was doing. Um, I had the excision surgery done and they found uh, stage four endometriosis. So I had it all over my pelvic area, almost in my organs. Um, my, they found one ovary was stuck to my uterus with adhesions. Um, I had endometriomas, which are like blood-filled cysts that, happen, that can happen with endometriosis um, in both my ovaries. And uh, basically it was just a huge mess inside. I also had um, pretty large fibroids and the polyps had come back. So they removed those again. So it's about a five hour surgery. They had to do a lot to um, kind of clean everything up. Wow, what was your recovery like? Was it very long? It was about uh, three weeks to a month until I could go back to work and start kind of getting back into my daily life. So it wasn't too bad, but yeah. Yeah, how soon after did you guys begin going into the trying to conceive and getting the go ahead from your post-op surgery and uh, consultation and all those things like that. Yeah, so um, we actually decided to go straight into an IVF cycle, which was recommended by um, the RE and also by my surgeon. Um, I mean, he did say we could try naturally and that our chances would be higher, but they both also said that, you know, I had this like kind of clean system right now and that this mm -hmm. might be a good time to do an IVF cycle. So um, I was in a very fortunate place in that my employer covered, would cover three rounds of IVF at a hundred percent. And so um, I think going into it, like at this point, we've been trying for, gosh, I want to say three years naturally. And um, I think I had in my head like, oh yeah, IVF is like the thing you do when nothing else works. And I have this amazing, you know, privilege of having like three cycles paid for, like, of course, I'm going to come out of this with a baby. And I don't think it really crossed my mind that I wouldn't. Mm -hmm. um, but we did the first IVF cycle, and um, we did not have any viable embryos from that. Um, so we were kind of left at that point with another round of mm -hmm. hard decisions. Mm -hmm. Did you did you ever have a positive uh, beta test after your three rounds? Um, no, so we actually only did one round. Okay. So because we didn't have any viable embryos, I did not ever have a transfer or anything. I, what happened was about a month or two after our IVF cycle, my symptoms came back full force, as bad as they had ever been. And um, I don't really know how to describe like that level of pain that I was in both mm. before my surgery and what came back after the IVF cycle. Um, except to say that like I was living in maternity leggings every day because mm. jeans hurt too much in my car I kept like a pillow that I would put in between my seatbelt because just having like the pressure of a seatbelt across my pelvic area was just too much and I was bleeding most days of the month like even when I was on my period I had spotting and um, sometimes my period would just be so heavy that I would be uh, just randomly you know, bleed through mm -hmm. pants and through layers. I mean, it was just insane. And so um, I was just at a really difficult point where I had to decide, 
do I want to try to put my body through another round of these medications where the RE was saying that no, the medications won't impact your fibroids and endometriosis, but I had an endometriosis surgeon saying, yes, of course, that's going to impact it. You're putting all the hormones that feed all of that into your Mm. body. So um, at that point, I uh, consulted another endometriosis surgeon, and um, that's when I, you know, talked to him about all my options. And um, at this point, we were about four years into trying, and I think I just lost all my energy in regards to trying for a baby. And um, we... Yeah, even though I had the two cycles left that we could have done, I just didn't know if I could put my body through anymore. I was in such bad pain every day that I was really scared to do anything to it again Mm -hmm. that would be worse. And so when I talked to the surgeon, I, you know, just basically asked him, like, what, if I were just coming to you, you know, telling, describing my pain, what is going to give me the best option for having just like a healthy life where I can get my quality of life back. And so um, through those conversations, we decided to uh, not only do another excision surgery to see if any endo had come back, but also to do um, a hysterectomy and remove my left ovary. Mm -hmm. And obviously the, the hysterectomy there's a lot of education within the endometriosis community of, of people raising awareness that it is not a cure for endometriosis. So I do just want to reemphasize that, that it is not a cure. Um, but in my case, it did help a lot with my pain relief. And I also had huge fibroids that had come back just in that year in between my first and second surgery. So it is hard for me to also differentiate like how much of the pain was coming from the fibroids and how large they had gotten in just that year um, versus you know, other uterine mm-hmm. like pain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that surgery, they did also find, you know, my endometriomas were back on both ovaries and he did find um, quite a bit of endometriosis in my body again that was removed from again, like a number of organs and um, throughout my pelvic area. So um, I, it was the hardest decision I've ever made, but I still feel like it was the right one because it helped me get my quality of life back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. How is your endometriosis now that you've had the hysterectomy and had the left ovary removed? Yeah, um, so, I mean, my health is like night and day. I still have a few issues that I'm dealing with. A lot of it is muscular, just from like my pelvic muscles being in pain for so many years that Mm. um, I developed pelvic floor dysfunction that I'm working with. So I think that's where most of my pain comes from at this point, but Um, overall, like it doesn't impact my life anymore. I don't have to plan around when I'm going to be having my period or, you know, just terrified that if I'm at a work event and, you know, I can't stand up or like these things that used to be a part of my daily life that I had to account for. I don't have to think about any of that anymore, which is amazing. Wow. That's, I'm so glad that you got some relief. Oh my gosh. It must, I can only like, I've had some terrible periods in the past and I just can't imagine living with that for so many years the way that you did. That is, it is crazy to even just visualize you in your face <laughs> and your husband trying to, <laughs> you know, he's like, he doesn't know what the frick to do, you know? Oh yeah. my gosh. Wow. That's amazing that you have found a specialist who was able to help you make some really tough decisions, but allow you the space to, you know, to do it when you were ready and, and everything. 
have you guys tried any other form of trying to expand your family like adoption or foster care? Um, we haven't. So I know, you know, most of like our conversation has been, it, it, the conversation we're having now is about um, the pain and the health part. But I think anyone who gets to a place where they're having to make a decision to move toward a life without kids, even though that is not their first choice, mm -hmm. um, it's such a personal decision as to how much are you willing to sacrifice to try to get there? So, you know, I talked about the physical part, but there was also the emotional and mental health part, which is that within four years of infertility, like that is a lot of months on top of each other of failure and seeing that negative mm -hmm, mm -hmm. pregnancy test every month and every mm -hmm. month visualizing what it would look like if that test was positive and. Mm -hmm. It's okay. Take a minute. Take a minute, Katie. It's okay. <laughs> mm -hmm. But you have an idea in your head of what your child might look like and what kind of activities you want to do with them and how you want to raise them. And mm -hmm. that hope despair cycle of every month having to get excited again enough to do the time sex do the cycle do all the things mm -hmm. and then to just come back disappointed um it took a big impact on my mental health and um it was very difficult on our marriage over the four years uh, it's just a lot of strain to go through and so i hear a lot too i, I run a childless support group every month um virtually and i've heard from so many who have said, oh, I, I didn't ever get the opportunity to even try because I had to have a hysterectomy mm. before I got to start trying, or um, I can't afford IVF, or my right. body can't handle IVF, and so they feel sometimes like excluded from being able to feel grief over not being a mother because it almost sometimes feels like there's this checklist. Like if you end up childless, you, you better have this checklist of like here's all the things that I did to try. And it's like, you have to prove that you wanted it enough that you're worthy enough to mm -hmm. have sympathy from people because look what I went through to try. I really wanted it. Yeah. And so I just want to validate that there are so many people out there that they may not even get a chance to try, mm -hmm. but that their pain is so valid because mm -hmm. they're still, they still don't have the opportunity to be a parent. Um, that's a little off track with what you just asked, but no, it's okay. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think just going through the four years that we went through, um, and there was so much with the the medical stuff that was going on and putting my body through three surgeries within three years, and it almost felt like our life had just been put on pause, and like ninety nine percent of my life just became medical stuff and fertility stuff, and mm -hmm. so. I think we just got to a place, I, I know I did for sure, where I just felt like if we move into trying to adopt, I don't get credit for that four years I put into infertility, into trying to build the family. Like, I am now starting day one of a new journey mm -hmm. that is fraught with ethical issues that I would have to wrap my head around and research and a lot of money typically. Mm -hmm. um, no guarantees, long pathways where, you know, we could go 
put a few more years into this and still not have a guarantee of having a baby at the end of it. And I just felt like I had put my life on hold for so long that I really could not imagine starting a new process and, and jumping into that again. And I think the idea that a lot of people who have not been put in this situation what they imagine the issue is, it's like, oh, well, if someone doesn't adopt, it's because they don't think they could love a baby that much because it's not their own. And mm-hmm. I can tell you from the women I talk to in my community, I've never even heard that mentioned as, mm-hmm. as something that crosses their mind. Um, I mean, for me personally, it was just that I just felt like I had sacrificed all that I could of myself, you know, my my marriage, my health, my mental health, my time, my energy, just really felt like, okay, I'm, I'm done. I can't keep investing in this. Like, I don't have any more to give to it. Yeah, yeah. And you know what, that's, uh, that's real talk because you, in a situation where, okay, you have a new friend or someone that you're trying to get to know and they ask you these questions, right? And just like you were just, uh, saying a minute ago, people seemingly, well, not seemingly, they expect you to have this long list of things that you, that you try to do um, to get to the point of adoption. And then they make assumptions and judgments, right? And think that <laughs> your situation is so easy or that they don't, I don't think people consider the fact that, <laughs> I'm trying to put it into words that don't sound crazy, but I don't think people consider when, when you're dealing with adoption or any path to parenthood, I don't think people, the first thought is never, was there a struggle? You know what I mean? It's, it's like, I, I know for me being naive about adoption in the past and not having had the experience of even trying to adopt, but long, long time ago, when I was very young and stuff, I just had this idea that, you know, when somebody adopted, they were making a choice. I never considered that there was a struggle before getting to that point. You know what I mean? And then for somebody like you and, and your and your husband and stuff, and you guys have just decided we've had, this is what we can handle right now at this time in our lives, right? Mm-hmm. And I, and sometimes I don't think people really consider that there was this major struggle between where we are now and before, before, yes. you know, ah, I hope yes. that makes sense. Mm. No, it definitely makes sense. And I think it's really hard to put into words what it feels like during that time that you're in it. Because if you look at the statistics, a lot of couples who try to get pregnant naturally are pregnant within three months. Mm-hmm. And then a huge percentage are pregnant at six months. And almost all couples, you know, are pregnant within a year. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, then that's when you get into this, like, one in eight that are experiencing infertility. But that's a minority of, of people who try to get pregnant. And so if you have someone who pregnancy came easily to them or they, you know, maybe they tried for three months or six months and felt like that was an eternity – like when you stretch out over four years and your options get to be less and your hope is getting to be less and you just don't have as much reserve to keep leaning on it's it's really easy to just have glib answers like oh well you can just adopt or Mm -hmm. I still get people asking me oh well you have one ovary you could do another you know (laughs) you could do a surrogacy or Mm -hmm. I'm just like oh at what point like I've accepted at what point can other people accept for me that like 
this wasn't a decision I made lightly. It was the hardest thing I've ever been through. I would not have given four years of myself to trying to get to a baby if I didn't really want it. Yeah. Um, but it's, I think it's hard to put that into context. And we don't want that ending for people. Like we want, we want the miracle baby ending. That's the one we like to repeat. Those are the stories we like to tell. I doubt there are many people in my family who are, or in my, you know, friends or my circle that are telling everybody like, oh yeah, like my, you know, my friends went through four years of infertility and doesn't have a baby, but she's okay now. Like you just don't hear that story mm -mm. being retold because it's not that any people want. No, no, and a lot of that has to do with the pressures of society uh, towards women to have at least one child. You know, um, I think that had, plays a big part of it and people around us that are close to us, they always want to believe, well, you know, you still have time, girl. It's okay, mm -hmm. you know, or, you know, you might change your mind, you know. Um, I, people get, say that to me a lot when I speak, when we speak about maybe having another baby, they ask me all the time, are we going to have more? And I'm like, yeah. you know, I, just, I, I went through a lot, you know, and, yeah, <laughs> you know, that's what I meant earlier. Like, people don't understand, like, what it really is between where you are now and what happened before to make you come to the decision of this is what it's going to be for us and this is what's yeah. going to work for us and this is what's best for my mental health his mental health or same-sex marriage you know you know um your spouse's mental health and your overall quality of life and thing and I think we place a lot of pressure on having children it makes when these situations happen a little bit more difficult when you're yeah it does because because there's the expectations that you have for yourself and your family and what that was going to look like. And so you have to do this dual process of grieving what you thought you would have and what you wanted and the loss of that and coming to terms with, okay, what what is my life going to look like now that I know I'm not going to have kids? Like there's so much that you have to kind of rearrange in your mind and your goals and what you're setting up for yourself. But at the same time, you have all these expectations from the people around you of, what they wanted your life to look like or just societal expectations of who you are if you're not a mom and like I don't want to be put in a box where I'm now the constantly pitied like you know childless woman that mm -hmm. we just have to feel bad for forever because we can't imagine that someone could have a happy fulfilling life without a child and so you get put into like the pity box and that yeah. doesn't feel good either yeah yeah, it doesn't. It definitely doesn't. And so with Chase and Creation, the community that you built, and I remember when you first began your virtual sessions and starting to branch out into um, creating this, I guess, digital platform for people to come together in the community. In what ways has that helped you for your healing process? Because I know there's so many different tools that you're probably using, you know that help you heal but how has that community and, and creating the chasing creating chasing creation community help you heal yeah I would say it's probably been um been, well I was gonna say number one but probably right up there has been you know connecting with other women who were childless not by choice and reading the materials and the resources that they have been putting out before I got my website up or before I started doing anything, there were there were some voices out there that were just like a lifeline to me um, and therapy. I want to make a plug for like how helpful my therapy was. But I think it definitely has created a healing space for me. And I've had 
I had a conversation with uh, the therapist that I'm seeing right now where um, I was just expressing some frustrations about how, you know, people that maybe I thought would show up in a different way really weren't able to support me in the way that I was hoping or wanted or needing during the last few years. And he said, like, yeah, but you started chasing creation because you knew that you needed that support. And if you had been getting it where you thought you should have gotten it from, you would never have created this like website and social media accounts that have now connected me to literally like thousands of women from around the world who are all in a similar position to me. And I only know one person in my personal life who is childless, not by choice. And so to be able to meet people online where I can say how I'm feeling and talk about my situation and just have this like echo of all these other voices saying like, yes, like that's how I'm feeling too. And hearing them share their stories and their experience, it just feels so validating and Mm -hmm. like, okay, I'm not alone in this. Like there are, there are so many women whose stories don't end with a miracle baby. Why aren't we hearing more of those? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. That's when, um, that's kind of the same question I had when I made that post on my page and you and you and you and we contact and and we spoke that day in dm i was like why isn't anybody talking about it more because of course everybody knows i'm not the only podcaster out here speaking about fertility and fertility you know what i mean and there's some wonderful podcasts out there that i've listened to and i'm sure you've listened to too as well but i just feel like the childless not by choice community is very underrepresented just like I feel like the LGBTQ infertility is very um underrepresented and 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 that's why I was so glad when we were able to connect and 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 make a date for to be able to come on here and I that's why I appreciate you so much because I know you're in the middle of moving and all that stuff like that that's (laughs) that's enough stress in itself and I had never heard the term until I started the podcast and I was like this is so interesting and then when I started thinking about it, I was like, you know, maybe if we had stayed in it another year or two, that might, that could have been me, you know, because it just comes to the point where you're like, well, what the hell else can I handle? Yeah. And I mean, it, I think it makes sense that our voices are not represented as much because if you think about when you're in the middle of infertility, we are like your worst nightmare. Like the last thing mm-hmm. you want to hear is a voice that's coming into your infertility forums or like, you know, coming into your awareness that's saying like, hey, guess what? All this stuff that you are going through right now, everything you're sacrificing, everything you're doing and putting into trying to create a baby right now, it might not work. You may put everything you have into this and have to walk away empty handed. And nobody in the middle of infertility wants to hear that because that is like your worst nightmare. Like you're working so hard to find the options available to you. And nobody wants to think that that's going to be how they're chapter. Yep. I totally agree. And I see it, you know, and, um, (laughs) and I just, I don't know. I like to ruffle a few feathers and I don't mind talking (laughs) about it. And it's not, and I guess maybe people will be like, well, she can talk about it all day because she, you know, she got her little miracle. Right. So Mm -hmm. But I don't know. I just feel like it's um it's a it's a conversation in a community that's waiting to burst open because I feel like there's so many people that are silently suffering, and 
sometimes you gotta bust the damn bubble and you gotta (laughs) like really because come on let's 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 if we're gonna sit down with our spouses and have all these conversations about different forms of IVF treatment and unsuccessful adoption attempts that's another big thing too is unsuccessful adoption attempts people don't realize how how common it is for things to fall through and that mothers change their mind about giving up their babies and I don't know. I just feel like uh, ruffling a few feathers, you know, and I feel like it's, it's cohesive or in, in with all that's going on right now in 2020, that the kind of year we're having already, like what's mm-hmm. another feather to be ruffled and thrown <laughs> up into the air and see where it lands. You know what I mean? Like, come on. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, I feel like if you're going to, if you're going to spend this money this time, then you need to have a plan. Just as we have a plan when we go to the consult and we have all these surgeries and we spend three months preparing before we can even have IVF, right? And <laughs> let's talk about what will be enough. And I told, I remember telling my husband, look, if it doesn't work in three cycles, I'm done. I'm not doing anymore. Yeah. I'm not mm-hmm. going to continue, you know, because I knew the intrusiveness that medications can be. And I'm not downplaying, you know, the RE specialists and everything like that, because they, they, they do help people expand their families and create miracles. But let's be real about it. There, there may come a time when you have to make that decision. And just like you said earlier about some of your community friends who couldn't even do IVF because they don't have the insurance and they don't have the savings to be able to spend on, on treatment and such. Yeah. And I actually read that only 5% of infertile couples end up doing IVF. Mm-hmm. And that is a lot of people who either choose, you know, there are valid religious reasons why somebody would not do want to go through IVF there are obviously financial I mean financial to me is like yeah obviously there are a lot of people that cannot afford to do a cycle of IVF like it is expensive but I think it's you know most people don't even get to that step so where are these conversations that we're having with everybody else who you know has has done what they can and doesn't have a baby because there are a lot of different ways to get that ending Mm -hmm. and I think that like infertility, talking about infertility is taboo and can be filled with shame and guilt in our society. And I, I almost feel like I, it seems more common to hear women speaking out about infertility after they've had a baby, like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. after they're successful, then they will say like, oh yeah, well, this is what we did to get here. And I think part of that is that just like shame and guilt that's associated with it. And so I, I think it's like the those of us who go through it and don't have the baby at the end, that is just a whole nother layer of taboo and guilt and shame. And in a society where we have this like, you know, societal like mantra of if you want it bad enough, you can get it. Determination is the great equalizer, right? Like you can have anything Mm -hmm. you want if you, if you want it bad enough and you try hard enough. And I don't think we like the message of someone saying, Mm -hmm you know what, like there are very valid and justified reasons where you may have to stop your journey before you, before you have a baby in your arms and that there's not shame in that. There's not guilt. We shouldn't have to beat ourselves up about it. And that those reasons are valid. If you are at a place where your mental health is being impacted to where you're really struggling, that's okay to stop. If your body cannot handle anymore because you have underlying medical conditions it's okay to stop if this is like destroying your marriage or your relationships with family or whatever 
it's okay to stop. Like, I, I just feel like there's so much pressure to have to keep going to, like, mm-hmm. prove how much we want it, to, like, it impacts how we're seen by others. But at the end of the day, like, I really try to spread, spread that message of, like, you've got to listen to yourself and be okay that if you, your mind and your heart and your body are screaming out to you, like, I, we can't do this anymore, listen to that because that is valid. Mm-hmm. I totally agree. I, I, I can't add anything to it because that's like perfect, perfectly <laughs> said. Yeah, seriously, because if everybody knows I have a, a kid, so you're listening, mm-hmm. you guys know I have my IVF miracle baby. But I do want to ask the question is it really worth the continuous cycle of emotional turmoil and spiritual turmoil and relationship issues? Is it really worth continuing? trying to force this baby to come into this dimension and and not coming off the choo-choo train because I feel like infertility can be that way especially when you're going through cycles of IUI IVF you just ready you just waiting anticipating for the next cycle to start yeah you know I just I think it's so important to listen to your mental and your spiritual self and your higher self and just really sit back and analyze really is it is it worth the continue cycle because just like the age old saying that you know in order to get different results you have to do something differently and if you're feeling so much distress and you're feeling so anxious and having all these issues with anxiety and depression I'm a big advocate for just taking that break and then I think sometimes when you take that break you get the clarity even if the clarity is not the answer you were looking for mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, I, you know, I think that we, it is more common for us to just jump to the next thing, jump to the next thing without even really pausing and thinking about like, is this what I want? And I think, you know, with you saying, you know, is it time to stop? I don't think there is like a a general guideline of what's going to answer that you know like it is so individual to each person and their circumstances that for one person their stopping point may be before they even try interventions like they try naturally it didn't work or again like maybe they never got an opportunity to try because they were born with like a health condition where they knew from you know from when they were a kid that they couldn't have kids does that make their pain less worthy of like their grief at not having a child like you know, I just, yeah. I don't know, for every person, like, that's going to be a different stopping point. There, I know of women who have been through, like, 10 IVF cycles and multiple failed adoptions and, surrogate, you know, like, surrogacy you know, or whatever, like, just everything you could possibly imagine, and they still, still end up having to walk away. So, I think if I could, like, just highlight one thing that was the hugest deal for me in my journey, mm-hmm. I, I had this moment where I was seeing my therapist who is a fertility she specialized in infertility and I was at this crux of trying to decide if I was going to have my second surgery or trying to or I just met with an RE to think about doing a second IVF cycle and he was wanting me to I was in a new city and he wanted me to redo all of my blood work Mm -hmm. to see where my levels were at with everything and I remember saying to her like I don't really want to even do that but part of me feels like I should do it because I feel like maybe my numbers have gotten a lot worse than where they were at before my surgery. Maybe 
those will come back really bad and it will give me like this validation of like yeah it's okay to not do the second cycle because mm -hmm. the, the chances of success are low and she just kind of stopped me and said like you know you you seem like you're looking for a way to like justify not having to continue this second IVF cycle and mm -hmm. she said you know it's okay to just put your health first to put yourself first you don't have to justify it to anyone you don't have to you know prove to anyone that you don't have to do anything to prove to anyone that you wanted this and she was like the first person in my life that said that to me I mean, my, actually, my husband did, too. I should definitely give him some credit. But <laughs> I just, you know, everyone else in my life, it's like the message was, you got to keep going, keep trying, don't give up. And it's so easy for us to give those messages without even really thinking about the meaning behind them. When we see, you know, a friend or a loved one going through infertility, because we feel like that's what we're supposed to say. And we want them to get the babies that they want. But it took my therapist being the first person to say, like, no, it's okay. If you want to stop, stop. And if you want to put your health first, that's okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great takeaway. Yeah, yeah. Mm -mm -mm. Does your therapist specialize in infertility? Is, is you still with the same therapist? Um, so I have a different therapist, actually. Um, the therapist I was seeing uh, as I was making the decision of whether I was going to have surgery or... Um, whether I was going to do another IVF cycle. She was, it was, I was living in Atlanta at the time and she's actually amazing. Is it okay if I give her a shout out in case other people are looking for something? Oh yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, uh, her name is um, Andrika Pete. It's um, I believe P-E-A-T. And she was so phenomenal. She, she does specialize in infertility. She was very knowledgeable about endometriosis and I have never felt safer and more comfortable than when I was in her office and I just really loved how she was able to never give me advice but really to just help guide where I was trying to get to and help me come to a place of peace with everything and so if anyone's in the Atlanta area and needing an, a therapist who specializes in that she's fantastic um, and she was in network with a lot of insurance companies which is helpful. I am actually now seeing a new therapist and I, I ended up back in therapy for other life circumstances not related to this so yeah yeah um, yeah understandable yeah yeah but that's yeah wonderful. So. that's wonderful that, that yeah that's wonderful you know I think that uh <laughs> I think we could all use some coaching and some therapy really <laughs> and just having somebody who is not a girlfriend not a biased loved one you know who can give us some solid direction and help us figure out what it is that we need to do to improve our overall well-beings and if you guys don't have a therapist and you've been thinking about it you should definitely go ahead and do your research and the great thing now is that a lot of therapists and doctors are on instagram and you can get a feel for them before you contact and stuff definitely guys do that for yourself and so Give us your social media handles, Glady, and so that we can connect with you and then how often you do your virtual meetups online. Instagram is my favorite platform, so you can find me there at chasing.creation. And Facebook, I don't take very good care of. It usually gets <laughs> just some of my posts that go straight from Instagram. But I, I think my handle there is at Chasing Creation. And then I have uh, chasingcreation.org is my website. And that's where you can find information about my monthly uh, childless support group. 
and it's an open group, so you don't have to commit to coming every month. You can just hop in once and see how you feel. But I limit those to 10 uh, women per session. So it's a small group and it's not led by me. It's meant to be a peer support group. So we'll have a different topic every month and I'll have some questions kind of prepared to help facilitate conversation, but it's really open and I, I let the women lead that are there to just talk about what's on their mind. So it's a great place to come for support. Um, and then in addition to that, I have webinars that I do monthly called um, Childless Chats Over Cocktails, where we talk about different topics related to childlessness. And I have, I'll invite a couple of different guests every month and we'll just chit chat about a topic and, uh, and have a conversation there. So those are the kind of the two areas where I'm focused right now and helping to try to create community and resources. Excellent, excellent, wonderful work that you that you're doing, and I and I know it's going to continue to expand and grow and grow and grow. So congratulations on creating that platform, and I commend you for your bravery to do so because it's not easy. Even though you want to help other people, it's not easy to say, "Look, I'm going to stay committed and you know and stay in it for the long haul." To help others you know and it's so it's so unselfish of yourself of you to think of other people and, and just being for them what you may have needed at some point in your journey so that's amazing mm. oh, well thank you honestly I feel like I get so like we talked about I get so much out of it amazing and I'm going to make sure that I have all of those things in the show notes you guys and so when you go to the website you just click on a podcast and then um, scroll down to show notes and I'm going to have a link in today's episode description so that you guys can tap and go and it's not a whole lot of stuff that you'll have to go through to get all of MKD's information it'll remain on the website so you can come back to it if you need to and then also please do connect with her on Instagram you don't have to be childless you can still be on the infertility IVF train and uh, (laughs) pursuing parenthood just to get that support you know you got to get support where you can and you know, um, there's validation in many different forms. So um, thank you again, Katie, for your time today and speaking to us and just being so selfless about your journey and sharing with us even the hard part. Oh, yeah. I actually, I really want to thank you for um, the work that you do with your podcast. And, you know, similarly, you're you're a mom. This is something that you could easily kind of put in the past. And the, the fact that you're willing to stay in this space and provide resources and community and support to other women who are coming up behind you that need it. Um, you know, I really appreciate and um, also that you're willing to include our stories as women who are childless, not by choice. I've listened to the other interviews you've done um, with other women who are, and I, sometimes it can feel like we're left out of the infertility conversations. Yeah. I just really appreciate you making space for us within your podcast. Oh, yeah, it's all my pleasure. Too.